Well, I want us to get back to the Gospel of Mark. We looked, uh, we started a couple of months ago studying the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And Lord willing, we're going to finish chapter 1 today. But I thought it might be good to kind of back up and get a running start since, uh, since it's been a while. It's been three or four weeks since we looked at Mark's Gospel. So chapter 1 in the Gospel of Mark and we're actually going to be looking at verses um, 40 through 45, but I want, to, I want to kind of back up. Let me just say this. We've heard, we know about Jesus so much. Probably most of us started learning about Jesus when we were children. What's the earliest memory you have? What, what age would you say you were when you remember going to church, or you remember singing about Jesus, Jesus loves me, this I know, or you remember seeing pictures of Jesus, or you remember hearing the stories of Jesus. How, how young? Well, what's the youngest memory, the, old, the, the first memory that you have of that? When you were how old, would you say? Huh? Eight? Four? Six? Five? Maybe any three? Uh, maybe, okay. Going once, going twice, okay. Yeah, I think probably three or four for most of us. Probably, uh, are the, is there anybody here who had never heard about Jesus by the time you were 10 years old? Anybody? Anybody? Probably not. Now, think about it. There are a couple of billion people in the world who know nothing about Jesus. They don't know. They don't know who he is. The name, even the name Jesus, is just uh, for some. They've never even heard the name, and then for others, what they have heard about him has been written in a negative kind of way. Now I want you to just kind of go back in your mind to the first century, and realize that when Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. It all happened in a little remote area of the world called uh, Jerusalem and, and Israel. And that tiny little, I mean, it's so small, smaller than New Jersey, the whole country of Israel. And, uh, and they didn't have television and CBS and NBC and Fox and all that kind of stuff. They didn't have internet. They didn't have anything. And so... The only people that knew what Jesus had said and done were the people that were right there when it happened. And then they began to tell other places and, and, uh, and yet, can you imagine how amazing that story would be? If you lived in Syria and somebody came from Jerusalem and said, I got to tell you about this man named Jesus who lived down in Israel. And he was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, but the amazing thing is that when he was about 30, he began to teach and preach, and, and it really nobody could find any fault with him, but he got accused of trying to overthrow the government and then they crucified him, nailed him to a cross, and everybody would know what that was. And then 
But here's the amazing thing. Now, it didn't stop there. He rose from the dead. After three days in the grave, he actually came out of the grave and his disciples say they actually saw him. And many of them, in fact, there were 500 people who saw him one time and then he ascended back up into heaven in a cloud, just kind of whoosh. Can you imagine how strange that would have sounded to people back then? And why doesn't it sound strange to us? Why does that not sound strange to us? Yeah, we've heard it all our life. We, we grew up hearing those stories and hearing them from people we trusted and knew from our parents and from our pastors. And so that doesn't sound strange to us. But now think about it. Think how strange that sounded to folks outside of Jerusalem who didn't see it happen. And so after a period of time, God inspired certain men to write down kind of a narrative of the life of Jesus so that people could know who he was. And the earliest one, the very first of the what we call gospels, which means the, the good story, the good news story, the first one that was written down was written by Mark, John Mark. And even though it's not the first gospel in the New Testament, most scholars believe and do believe with all their heart that it was the earliest of the four gospels was written by a man who was a close friend and traveling companion with the Apostle Peter. He also was a, a relative of the Apostle Paul. And he, uh, and, and certainly a relative of Barnabas, for sure, and possibly of the Apostle Paul. But this was a man who had really, really good first-hand knowledge about the life of Jesus. So he writes it down and he starts right off by talking about the identity of Jesus. Who is this man called Jesus? And he starts by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in other words, here's how it all started, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, just what Josh read to us, which shall prepare the way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so he said, uh, I'm going to give you some testimony to let you know who this Jesus is we're talking about. First of all, Mark said, I want you to know he is the Son of God. And I testify to that. I have some first-hand knowledge. He's not just a preacher, a prophet. He is God's Son. That's the way he starts his book. The, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then he's, he gives some witnesses. And I'm not going to read the whole first chapter to you because I want to get to the last part of it. But he says, I tell you he's the Son of God. John tells you he's the son of God. 
The prophets tell you that God was sending his son, and so they testify to it. And then a little bit later, he talks about the baptism of Jesus as John baptized him. And the father testified from heaven, this is my beloved son and the Holy Spirit. Like a dove came down out of heaven and rested upon him as a testimony. So five different witnesses. How many witnesses were required? I said, how many witnesses were required? <laughs> two, that's right. But God says, I, I'm not giving you two witnesses. I'm giving you five witnesses to verify the identity of Jesus. And then he talks about the authority of Jesus. And through the next, uh, from verses 12 through 34, he says that, Jesus has authority over Satan. He's driven out into the wilderness and there he encounters the devil himself and Satan tempts him for 40 days. He fasts 40 days, 40 nights and then Satan comes to him and tempts him and Jesus has authority to resist the devil himself. He also has authority to call followers. He says to certain men, come, follow me, leave your business, leave your occupation, and come and follow me. And they follow him. So he has authority over Satan. He has authority in calling followers. Then he has authority in teaching. He goes into the synagogue in, in Capernaum, and he speaks to the people, and everybody there is amazed. And they say, we have never heard anybody speak with this kind of authority. He doesn't just quote what other people says. He said, this is what I tell you. And they were amazed that a man could speak with such authority. So he has authority in preaching. And then he has authority over demons. Because while he's there speaking in that uh, synagogue, a man comes in who is possessed by demons. And Jesus said to the demons to leave that man. And with just a word, Jesus says, come out. And the demons leave immediately. So this is the authority of Jesus over demons. And then he has authority over disease. Because the rest of the chapter talks about how that Jesus, they began to bring all kinds of sick people to Jesus. And just with his word, he would heal them and set them free and deliver them. Can you imagine hearing this story for the very, very first time? I can't imagine it. I've tried this week. I've tried in reading Mark. Chapter 1, I've tried to say, I'm going to pretend that I grew up in a country where I never heard of Jesus and somebody dropped the gospel of Mark on me and they said, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I've tried to read it this week as if I was hearing it for the first time and I couldn't do it. There's no way we can do that. because we. But I've, I've tried to to imagine if I'm reading about somebody who first first of all is identified as the son of God that's pretty amazing 
And then he has all this authority. He can overcome the devil. He can cast out demons. And then he can heal every kind of disease, you think. So I guess he's mainly a miracle worker. But then the next few verses in Mark's gospel, he talks about the priority of Jesus, verses 35 through 39. He talks about that mainly Jesus spent his time in prayer and in preaching. In fact, after he heals so many people, it says early the next morning he got up and went out to pray and uh and his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. What are you doing out here? And Jesus said, look, I didn't come mainly to heal. I didn't come mainly to do miracles. I came to preach. And the thing about every person that Jesus healed would later get sick again. That's part of, they would all die. And Jesus said, I'm healing people not because that's my primary focus. I'm doing these miracles to demonstrate that I am who I say I am. That's the purpose of miracles, by the way. It's not just to do a miracle. It is a way to validate and authenticate the message, and the messenger. So Jesus said, I I didn't come mainly for that purpose. I'll do that. But I came to bring a message of salvation, redemption, gospel, good news. And that's why I came. And he said, I need to go and preach in all the other cities. And then we come to verse 40. And things are going to radically change at this point. Verse 40 says, Now a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, begging him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Now a leper, this is a sad situation, a leper. In fact, Luke chapter 5 verse 12 in telling this story says this man was covered with leprosy. I actually meant to bring a picture or two of leprous men today. But after looking at them, I almost got sick. And I thought, I don't really want to do that just before we're going to go eat dinner. I tell you, leprosy, people who were covered with leprosy were disgusting they were uh, be the best word they, they were they were sickening leprosy was a, is a disease that works from the inside attacking the nerve system primarily in such a way that it causes terrible rashes and breaking out on the skin but it Mainly, it causes deadening in the extremities. So that leprosy didn't cause a person's finger to fall off, but most lepers were missing fingers and toes. But it was because 
they had lost feeling in them and they would lean over against a stove or a fire or something and wouldn't even know that their hand was on fire. Or they would step on something, step on a, a, a nail or a sharp rock or something like that, it would go right through their foot and they wouldn't even feel it. You think, well, boy, that's, isn't that great? Not being able to feel pain? No, it's not great. I tell you, pain is really our friend. Now, I could do without it a few times. You know, my brother used to say, I don't mind pain at all if it didn't hurt. But, but it always does, doesn't it? You know, but here's the thing. Pain is a warning system to say to us, uh, don't, don't touch that. Be careful. Slow down, whatever. And, but lepers, they ended up covered with leprosy, an, an, a skin disease that was considered to be very contagious. Now, I've read that leprosy today is not considered as contagious, but in that day, it was so contagious that, in fact, over in Leviticus, let's see if we can put Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46 on the screen. In the law, God said concerning lepers, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache, and he shall cry out loud, Unclean! Unclean! And he shall be unclean, and all the days that he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, look at this, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So I don't know what was the worst thing about leprosy. One of the bad things about it was not the pain, because they didn't feel a lot of pain. But the disfigurement, the shame, the uh, sense of alienation, all that was horrible. And then to think that you have to walk about, you could not come within 500 feet of any other person, and it was even further than that if the wind was blowing. And if you approached other people, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine the humiliation? But not just the humiliation, the alienation. They could not touch another person and they could not be touched by another person. You think about a man who active in his family and in his community and one day a place comes up on his hand and itches and it's red and doesn't think much about it at first and then the next day he gets up and it's spread and another little place has come up on his wrist and his wife like all wives do would say you need to go to the doctor and he like all men do 
would say, oh, probably not, and it'll be okay. Can I get an amen from the men and the women on that? My wife is saying, yea, verily. But then by the third or fourth day, it has spread even further. And finally, even he says, you know, I better go have this checked out. And he goes, and they look at it. They bring in the priest, and they bring in the medical specialist, and they examine it, do the tests they need to do. And with sad, sad faces, they say, Sir, I'm so sorry. And they back away, start washing their hands, and they say, You, you have leprosy. Leprosy? Are you? Yes, we're sure. Now, we have to go to your house. We have to quarantine your family for a certain period of time. We have to burn your house. We have to take everything you've touched and we have to put it in the fire. And you have to move out of town. And you can... Never again touch another human being. But but I have children. I you cannot hug your children. But my wife, you cannot touch your wife. My my business you no longer have a business. You are isolated. You live away. Now Lepers would often band together in groups or colonies of their own, but they could not have any interaction. And this is the man who came to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I plead with you, please, if you're willing, if you're willing, I believe you can heal me. You can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion. Now listen, Jesus could have said, be clean. And he could have healed the man just with his word. He did often. He could have done it from a distance. He could have done it from a mile away. But Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. Think about it. I don't know how long this man had had leprosy, but for that long, he had not felt a human touch on him. Jesus knew that this man needed something more than just being healed. This man needed to know that he was loved. And Jesus touched him. And actually the word for touch here is not the word that just means to touch. It's the word that really means to embrace. And I picture... That this man is kneeling down and Jesus lifts him up and the man perhaps begins to back away and Jesus reaches out 
pulls him into himself. Embraces him. And Jesus said, I will. I am willing. Be clean. Be clean. Now I tell you, in the Bible, there are many sicknesses that all picture the condition of man in sin. Blindness, the fact that people are blind to the glory of God. Deafness, that people can't really hear the word of God. Lameness, paralysis, even death, all are likened to sin. But there is nothing that I know of that pictures sin any more than leprosy does. It works from the inside and it affects the outside. It alienates, causes division and loss. It separates men from God and men from men. It is an unclean condition. And there is no earthly cure for it. No doctor could cure it. But Jesus can take it into himself and say, I'm willing. Be clean. If you're a Christian, I want you to know that is exactly what Jesus did for you. If you're a Christian, there was a time in which you came to him in your uncleanness and you said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And he touched you. And he said, be clean. And you were clean. This man instantly was cleansed. Isn't it wonderful to be clean? And immediately the leprosy left him. He was clean. Hallelujah. <laughs> ah, It's great to be clean. I remember when I was a little boy, we worked out in the cotton fields. I hated picking cotton, but... I hated chopping cotton too. Chopping the weeds out of the cotton patch in the summertime. It was a hot summertime. July and August we were chopping cottons. And you'd sweat. And the trucks would come by and big old rolls of dust would just come rolling across the cotton field. And that dust would settle on your sweaty skin. And by lunchtime you had little furrows of mud all over your arms. Some of you are nodding your head like you remember that too. And in the evening, after we'd quit in time, we'd come home. And my mother had run a tub full of water. We had one of those big round metal tubs. And she had a tub of hot water and some ivory soap that floats, floating in the tub. And she'd say, son... If you got to be first, this illustration really works well. If you had to be last, it kind of breaks down. 
But sometimes I'd get to be first, and I'd get in that tub, and I'd scrub with that soap. Didn't matter if I dropped it because it floated. And I'd scrub and scrub, and after a while, I'd rub my skin, and it goes squeak, squeak. And I said, Mama, I'm squeaky clean. And she laughed. When I was 17, God gave me another bath. And it wasn't in water and soap. It was in blood. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me. And I could stand before a holy God and I could say, God, I'm squeaky clean. The blood of Jesus has washed away all my sins. Well, that's the question today. Are you washed in the blood? That's the question. Are you washed in the blood? You say, well, I, I have a problem. I have sin. This leper could say, I have leprosy. But he said, Jesus, I don't doubt your power and authority. But are you willing? If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I'm willing. Come here. And he hugged him. And he said, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And he was clean. Now, Jesus told him after that, he said, now, don't go off telling everybody. In fact, look at the next verse. Says, and he warned him and sent him away at once. And he told him, Go, uh, don't say anything to anybody. Go and show yourself to the priest. Offer your offerings for the cleansing that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he said, I, I don't want you going out and telling everybody because already the popularity of Jesus was growing so much that all people wanted from him was miracles. And then verse 45 tells us about a disobedient leper. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter. He began to tell everybody. Now, it'd be hard not to, wouldn't it? I don't know. Don Francisco has a song called I Gotta Tell Somebody. And he tells about the a man that Jesus said, now don't tell anybody that I've just raised your daughter from the dead. But this man said, i, I got to tell somebody. I know you told me not to, but I'm going to disobey. Well, that's what this leper did. Jesus said, "Don't, please don't, don't go out and tell people that I've healed your leprosy because if you do, I'm going to be swamped. And, and the message that I've come to deliver is going to be overrun. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and people had to go out to him from every direction. Let me just close with this. Jesus and the leper kind of changed places. Before... 
Jesus was in the city fellowshipping with people. The leper was out. Couldn't even come into the city. Jesus meets the leper and in a way he changes places with him. Now the leper is able to go into the city and tell everybody what's happened. But Jesus ends up out in the wilderness. Can't even enter the city. I just kind of see a little shade of the gospel there, don't you? That Jesus took my place. He sets me free and takes my bondage. He gives me life but takes my death. And he took my place and your place so that I could have his place. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us that we might be free, that we might be cleansed. And that's what he did with this leper. Well, I come back to the question. Are you clean? You say, well, I, that's not really my biggest issue. My biggest issue has to do with my family, has to do with my finances. I don't know. You think that's your biggest issue. Your biggest issue, really, is sin. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to touch our hearts right now. I pray for those who are here today who know that there's a sin problem in their heart. And they've wrestled with it and even tried to relieve themselves of it. But now they've heard that there is one who is able and is willing to take their sin and give them cleansing and I pray that even if there's one person here today who has never been washed they will come to Jesus in his name I pray